Appreciate it. Good morning, Brookside. How's everybody doing? Good. It is kind of weird. It's uh, not sure if it's going to snow or rain or what's going on. So anyway, but um, but yeah, I hope you're having a, a great weekend. And I too want to say, if you're a guest here with us, welcome. And uh, yeah, we're just really. Glad that you're able to join us here today, and now that we get to open up um, uh, the, the Lord's Word together, so it's a, it's a privilege. Well, last weekend, um, as uh, Chris said, Pastor Steve started us in a new series taking us through the book of John, and I'd like for us to pray this morning as we jump into God's Word, but I'd also like for us to also turn our prayers and, and our thoughts to the events that have unfolded um, really in our country this week in Boston and, and even other tragedies all the way around the world as well. And so um, I don't know about you, but as I was hearing about those things on Monday and my wife had been following that marathon and, and then to hear what was happening and I just, it was just that same sinking feeling, you know, that you had at, uh, right around 9-11. And, and um, you know, just the reminder though, isn't it? It's just such a strong reminder for us of the Really the uncertainty, incredible uncertainty that we live in at times and, and the brokenness of our world and, and the pain. And, and um, uh, I saw some words from the book of John, though, this week that I wanted to read to you before we pray. And, and um, I think about the disciples and, and the challenges that they were going through in the scriptures. And, and Jesus is speaking to them one day and And he gives them these words of hope. And so I just want to read these to you and and then we'll pray. It's from John 14. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then listen to this. I am going there to prepare a place for you, for all of you. And if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you with me. And you will also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Um, we eagerly await that day, don't we? Um, and then I want to read one more passage. This is John 16. We'll put these verses up even, verse 33. You talk about relevance to the words of Jesus in our lives. Jesus said this, I have told you these things. Um, yeah, I've told you these things so that in me, here it is, you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, in their day, they had experiences, they had trials, they had oppression and conflicts. But Jesus said to them, as he would say to us this morning, take heart, um, take heart. You know, there's no doubt about it. In Boston today, churches are full this morning. After 9-11, churches were full across the country. Um, And so let's pray this morning that God would do a mighty work in not only healing, but also in bringing the message of Christ to uh, to some hurting people. So, yeah, let's let's pray together. Lord, I thank you um, this morning. Um, for the reminder that one day you will come, and uh, one day things will be very different. Lord, this morning we remember the city of Boston, and, and we pray, God, that you would bring peace and, and grace and comfort. And, and Lord, we pray for each family, Lord, you, you would heal them. We pray um, for those that have been injured, we pray that you would heal them. Lord, we pray that you would, you would meet pain and anger with grace and peace. Um, Lord, we we think this morning even about um, just our time to, to open up your word. And um, Lord, I pray that as churches are really full across the country, I pray that the word would go out. I pray for those pastors, those priests, Lord. And we pray that, God, the, the word of Jesus Christ would be strong and that people would come to know you. And what was intended for evil, Lord, we pray that you would, in fact, use for very good. And Lord, just now as, as Brooks sat here this morning, we pray as we open up your word and and we thank you that it's unshakable. I think of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. And so, Lord, this morning, 
It's with confidence that we open up your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. And, and I would even ask you right now, would you just take a second on your own? And wherever you're at this weekend, would you just say to the Lord, Lord, I, I pray you'd speak to me this morning. He'll honor that kind of a prayer. Would you just say that to him now? Lord, that's our prayer. We love you. And um, yeah, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as Pastor Steve laid out, um, as we are in this series through the book of John, we're answering a very important question. And that question is, who is Jesus? And uh, one of the reasons why this question is so important is because when you embrace who Jesus is, following him with all of your heart, or you could say following Jesus wholeheartedly, it makes sense when you know who he is. When you know who Jesus is, when you have embraced him, truly embraced him, and you, you realize, okay, he's the son of God, it changes the way that you look at his teachings. You, you look at the scriptures and you go, wow, there's wisdom in that. And so you long to hear it and you, you want to be around it and you open it yourself. When you understand that his compassion, when you know who Jesus is and you understand the kind of compassion that he showed people, it changes the way you pray. And you, all of a sudden you find yourself approaching God in a way that maybe you hadn't before until you knew that about him. When you embrace the fact that Jesus is holy, you come into a place like this and you worship him differently. You worship him in awe because of who he is. It changes the way you worship him. When you see Jesus as creator, you, you look at your life differently and you go, wow, if God could create that and you get into the galaxies and all the facts with that, you go, Oh, God could do something amazing. God, God could transform my life for sure. When you embrace Jesus, when you know him, when you say, who is he? And you realize he's one that saves, you never look at the symbol of the cross the same again. You look at the cross differently and you, you're, you're, the thought of God's grace, it's just like, wow, I can't, I can't believe God's grace that he poured out for me. Put very simply, you could say this, our goal is as a Christian, as, as a Christ follower, maybe you're on a spiritual journey trying to figure out what that means. Our goal is this, very simply, it's to find out who Jesus is and it's to follow him wholeheartedly. To find out who he is and then to, to discover, and we'll see this in the scriptures today, what does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to go after Jesus? Our main point for this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. It says, it's when you truly embrace who Jesus is, you follow him wholeheartedly. When you truly embrace who Jesus is, you follow him wholeheartedly. I hear people say again and again, when I met Jesus Christ, my life changed. When I met Jesus Christ, things got flipped upside down and I started doing things differently. I was thinking about a guy in our church just this week and, and it brought a ton of joy to my, kind of my day just to think about all the areas of his life that Jesus Christ is transforming. You see, God got a hold of his life and, and now all of a sudden all of these areas of his life, they've been rearranged and he's submitting to Christ with those. And he's living a life that he thought he would never experience. It's amazing. You could think of it this way. Let's say that um, this, and I'm, this won't be a secret to you. I'm no artist, but there's you and me. And let's say that this, is, this line marks our spiritual journey. And just think for a second about as you're on a spiritual journey, you probably had some conversations that were helpful to you in your spiritual journey. Maybe someone shared Christ with you. Maybe you had a neighbor that maybe invited you to church. You had maybe a coworker that talked to you. Maybe it was your parents that instilled different things in you. 
But along your journey, you had different things that were pointers to you to who Jesus was. And then there came a day when you really felt not so much it was your will, but you felt that God was calling, that God had a call on your life. And, and that day was marked by this. You could say you accepted Jesus Christ or you embraced Christ. And so you would look back and you would say, yeah, these things had an impact. And, and then, boy, God, though, God got a hold of my life. And I, I began to embrace Christ. And if there's one word that would stand out from that point on, you would say this. I began, I began to follow him. And you would look now and you'd say, okay, you know, you'd say, okay, my finances, and you'd say my, my occupation, and, and then you'd look and you'd say, okay, my, my relationships, and you would just list thing after thing, my future aspirations, and you would say, okay, these things now, now that I've come along, I discovered who Jesus Christ was, and I submitted my life to him. I began to embrace Christ. I came to know him. Now I'm on this journey, and I'm seeking to follow him. And now I'm saying, okay, what does it mean to be a person that's wholeheartedly going after Christ? Well, you know it's a person that's saying, okay, these different areas of my life, my relationships, my aspirations, what I want to do with my life, who I want to be around, the things that I, I want to give myself to, those are the things that you would say are what would make up a life that is wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. In John chapter 20, verse 31, there's a defining verse in the book of John. And, and John wrote this, These things were written so that you might believe in Jesus Christ, so that you might believe in Christ. And then he, he went on to say this, so that you might believe. And then he said, by believing that you might have, here it is, life in his name. And what John was saying is this, there's going to be a point, I'm writing these things to you, the gospel of John so that you'll believe, but then by believing that you'll have life in his name, so that you'll wholeheartedly go after him. And Jesus then, when he talked about what that means, what this whole follow thing means, he said, okay, this life after me, he said, this is the, this is the fullness of life. This is the fullest life you can possibly live, fully devoted to God. Yet what's tragic and is that, and you see this a lot, is that when someone claims faith or they you could say they're maybe, they would say that they're associated with Christ or they've got an identification with Christ, but they never embrace Jesus. There's a big difference, isn't there? I mean, I can relate to this even in my own journey. When this person thinks religion, they think towing the line. They think church attendance. They think checking the God box. They might think giving. But so often, and this is the tragedy, they never experience what it means to be wholeheartedly devoted to Christ and to experience life with God in that way, with Jesus Christ. And the reason why it's so tragic is because empty religion, as you know, as I know, it is a burden. It is obligation. It lacks joy. It lacks adventure. It lacks, lacks nobility. It, it lacks a worthy cause. Yet when you embrace Jesus Christ and you follow him wholeheartedly, we experience what Jesus meant when he said, in John 10, he said, I want you to have life after you've met me. And that life, as you follow me, that life is going to be, it's going to be full. It's going to be a thrill. But it's hard to watch when you see people, and you see it all the time, maybe especially as a pastor, you see people that they would associate with God, but they don't embrace Christ, or they haven't yet embraced Christ. It's kind of like this. I was thinking of how, to, how do you picture this, and 
I remember going to an amusement park as a kid, and, and I remember waiting in a very long line, maybe an hour and a half. You ever been on one of those rides where you wait about an hour and a half to get on a certain roller coaster? And, and I remember that was the tornado at Adventureland, and I remember waiting in line for that. But it's, it's like this. It's like a kid that waits an hour and a half to get to this, to, the, to, to ride on this roller coaster, and they get to the top, and it's their turn to, to get into the seat. And so they take a step, and they actually sit in the car. They actually sit in the seat. But before the click comes and before the, the safety harness gets down right around them, they get out of the car on the other side of the track, on the exit side, and they're just too scared. They waited all that time, but they're not going to go through with the ride. And so they stand there and they watch this car roll down the tracks. They waited. They were very associated with the tornado. They were at Adventureland. The amusement park, they know the sights, they know the sounds, they know the smells. But they didn't get the thrill of the ride. The thrill of the ride following Jesus Christ comes when we truly embrace him, when we follow him. And it's not just following him in one area, it's following him with a wholehearted devotion. In today's text, and you can turn there, John chapter 1 verse 35 is where we're going to start. We're going to see the first disciples and we're going to see their response to who Jesus was we're going to see Jesus, he's going to, he's going to call these men to himself, and, and we're going to hear these men make some very telling statements about who Jesus is, and they'll shape our understanding, and ultimately, I pray, they'll shape our response to Jesus. Let's dive in. Look with me at these 16 verses this morning, starting in verse 35. It says, the next day, John uh, was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, John the Baptist, he's, he's speaking up for the second time, and he addresses Jesus by saying, saying look, the Lamb of God. And, and what we know about John is that the Spirit of God was on John as a very young child, and we know that John's role is to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. John's role was to let people know that Jesus Christ was coming, to announce his coming. John the Apostle said this about John the Baptist, and John Chapter 1, verse 7, it says that he came as a witness to testify concerning the light, which is Jesus, so that through him, here it is, all men might believe, all people might believe. The first time that John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, here's what he said. He expanded on it even more to a broader statement. He said, look, the Lamb of God, and then he said, who takes away the sin of the world, John understood the purpose of Jesus Christ. John knew that like a lamb, Jesus' life would be sacrificed. But it wouldn't be sacrificed for one. It would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Look with me at verse 37. It says, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now imagine this moment. This would have been a little awkward. Verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and he asked, he asked what do you want? Which, what do you say to that, you know, if Jesus said that to you? And they said, and, and I think they were just kind of thinking, making stuff up. They were rabbi, which means teacher, so title giving much respect. And then this is the part where I think they were just frazzled. They said, where are you going? And now Andrew is there, and, and also scholars believe that this other person is, is John the Apostle. And, but we know this, they're, they're intrigued. They, they want to know, Jesus, well, just where are you going? They're probably surprised that Jesus would ask them a question. They want, though, to be around Jesus. They want to be close to him. They want to follow him. They've heard about him. John the Baptist has talked about him. A friend of mine got to go to the Masters Golf Tournament this last week, and I was pretty jealous. And, and, and when I saw him, I, 
I said to him, I said, I said, who did you see? I said, did you see Tiger tee off? He said, yeah. I said, wow, did you see Phil Mickelson? And I just wanted to know. I wanted to know different things about this tournament. I, I didn't even go, but I was really interested. These two disciples know enough about Jesus from the testimony of John the Baptist that they want to know more and they want to be around him. Verse 39, Jesus replies to their question, where are you staying? Verse 39, he says, come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him and it was about four in the afternoon. Now, can you imagine for a second, imagine what it would have been like to have been able to spend an entire day with the Son of God, with Jesus Christ. Amazing. When John is writing this gospel, he's probably 90 years old. And so think about this. Yet he remembers that day well. He remembers it so well right down to the detail. He says, it was about four in the afternoon. Look at, look at me at verse 40. It's likely the next day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now you can't miss the thing that Andrew does here. What did he do after he met Jesus? After he spent one day with Jesus, what did Andrew do? He found his brother and he told him about Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Let's say you, let's say you go to a really good restaurant. And I remember the first time we went to Stella's, and we like getting a good burger, my wife and I. And, and I remember the first time we went to Stella's, boy, we got back and we were telling people about it. Andrew, he, he goes back and he says, whoa, I've been with Jesus all day. And he can't help but tell people about it. But when you really like something, you don't just tell people about it. You take them with you. Second time we went to Stella's, we had a couple with us. We had some friends, right? Andrew is not content with just telling his brother about Jesus. He's that good, much better than a burger, right? He's saying, you, I'm not just going to tell you. He says, you've got to come with me. So many of you, you began a relationship with Jesus Christ as a result of someone telling you. And the natural response that you've had now is you bring people with you because you've experienced it. And it's, it's one thing to tell them, but you're saying, well, I don't even want to bring you. I want you, to, I want you to hear from someone else as well. I think of Jake, the guy that shared Christ with me. If you would have told Jake, hey, Jake, you shouldn't tell Jeff about Christ, Jake would have said, I'm sorry, bro. I, I, gotta, I can't help you there because I am really fired up about Jesus, and I'm going to tell anybody I can. Andrew has to tell his brother. And so Andrew says to his brother, we have found, here it is, we have found the Messiah. Now, if you read through the rest of the, the Gospels, you know that Andrew and the rest of the disciples were operating with one understanding of who the Messiah is. They had an idea even of what they wanted. They wanted someone to come and take care of the governing system. They wanted someone to rule with power. But that was sort of a limited perspective. It was the part that they hadn't embraced of Jesus Christ. There was a part of him that would be a servant. There was a part of Jesus that would call them to serve. There was a part of Jesus that would suffer and that would die, and Jesus would call them to suffer as well. In Mark chapter 10, we see that John and his brother James, they're looking forward, though, to the Messiah part where it's about power, and they're thinking, this is great. And so they say to Jesus, this is amazing, they say, Jesus, let one of us sit on your right in glory and one of us sit on your left. 
I mean, imagine that, quite a statement. Meaning, Jesus, we want to share your throne with you. You're awesome. We love what you're about to whip up here, and we want to be right next to you. And here's what happened, Mark chapter 10, verse 41. It says, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with James and John. Meaning, the other disciples were like, that was a really dumb question, guys. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he said, verse 43, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus needed them to know that he was the Messiah, but that that meant more than he was going to rule with power. Jesus needed them to know, I'm going to suffer and die. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, he's saying, if you want to follow me, he's saying, it's going to be a life of service. And it's going to be the best ride you'll ever have. But he's saying, you guys, you guys, you disciples, you've, you've got it wrong. When you truly embrace who Jesus is, following him wholeheartedly, it makes sense. You long to do it. Back to John chapter 1. So now think about this. Andrew's brother is before Jesus. Let's keep working through this text. Verse 42. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, this is a side note, but I think it's important to mention Simon gets a new name here, and we could preach a sermon on that alone, but Simon gets a new name here, and it has a lot of significance. Apart from Christ, Peter was impulsive. Peter was the first one in, but he was the first one out, right? Peter was impulsive. With Christ, Peter gets referred to by Jesus as the rock, and Peter gave Jesus gave Peter the name, and, and he didn't just do it just because he liked the name better. He thought the name Rock, well, that would be a cool nickname, though, wouldn't it, if I called you the Rock all the time? But, but Jesus had a point. And Jesus was saying, hey, in Christ, Peter, you're going to be somebody different. I'm renaming you because there's some symbolism here. I thought repeatedly, I sensed the Lord saying this week, make sure that you bring light to the fact that We might see, you might see yourself in one light. You might look in the mirror. You might see X, Y, and Z. You might think this or that about yourself. You might think, wow, I've tried to follow Christ, but I I fail, and this is kind of where I'm going to end up, and blah, blah, blah. And I just sense the Lord saying over and over again, make sure that people hear, when the Lord sees you, when he sees you in Christ, he doesn't see what you see. He sees you in Christ. He looks down. He says, my child, I see something in you that you don't see. And as you continue to follow me, as you continue to press into me, as you continue to seek me with all of your heart, you're going to find and you're going to live a life that is entirely full. Let's keep going. Look with me at verse 43. It says that the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said to him, he said, follow me. Now if there's two words that I would love for you to take away this morning, it's It's the word follow, and then it's the word me. Follow me. And Jesus says to Philip, hey, follow me. Hey, come come with me, Philip. Now think about it for a second. What does it mean to follow? I mean, if I follow Jesus, that means I'm not following something else. So I have a change of direction. What does it mean to follow him at work? What does it mean to follow Christ at home? 
What does it mean for me to follow Christ in a relationship or as a single person? What does it mean for me to wholeheartedly follow him? I was walking through Target last week with my two-year-old son, Easton, and, and I noticed that he, he wanted to walk, and so he was a ways behind because he's only two, and, and he, but he wanted to be on his own, blah, 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 and, and so he's, he's looking at me, and, and I noticed that he was okay following me as long as he kept looking at me. But there were several times when he would get distracted, and then he would be playing over by something, and then I would go around a corner, and I would realize, no kid, bad thing, you know, and I got to turn back, and and there he was, and he was kind of in a panic. And the reason why he was in a little bit of a panic was because even though he got distracted, he still wanted to be with me. And the reason he wanted to follow me is because he knows who I am. When you and I truly embrace Jesus Christ, when we think about following other things, it doesn't make sense. It's not attractive. It's not appealing. Let's keep going. Look with me at verse 44. It says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And, and Philip found Nathanael, and he told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and whom the prophets also wrote about, Jesus, the son of Joseph. Do you see what's happening here? These men are hanging around Jesus, and as a result, they're getting to know him, and they're embracing who he is, and they're following him, but they're not following him alone. They're recruiting other people to follow him as well. I, I love this picture. Andrew can't keep it inside, and so he tells his brother. Philip can't keep it inside, and so he goes out, he tells his friend Nathaniel. I mean, you can just see these guys. They're walking around the town. Bethsaida wasn't a big city, and so they're walking, hey, we found the Messiah. You remember all the Old Testament stuff we've, we've been learning, you know, the, what Moses said and the prophets? We found him. We found the Messiah. One guy put it like this. He said, when you find something good, you tell your family. When you find something life-changing, you tell all your friends. And notice what they said about Jesus. They said, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. These guys were following Jesus because they knew who he was, and they knew who he was because of what John the Baptist had said, but also because they knew the Old Testament scriptures. For many of you, you came to know Christ because you've been opening up this book and you're finding out who Jesus Christ is. These guys were Bible study students. They were no slouches at all in that area. They followed Jesus Christ based on what they had. But think about this for a second. We know the end of the story. They, they didn't know. We know that Jesus would suffer. We know that Jesus dies. We know that Jesus gets raised back to life, that he triumphs over sin. And so when I see these guys and I see their zeal for following Christ and I think, wow, I know the whole story. I go, wow, wholehearted devotion, follow me. That, that lands with even more power when Jesus says two words, follow me. Look at me at verse 46. Nathaniel says this, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth, Nathaniel asked? Come and see, said Philip, kind of like, you was about to be surprised, my friend. Verse 47, and when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. This would have been unsettling to him. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I knew you'd be coming, he's saying. And Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
Now, it didn't take much for Nathaniel to embrace Jesus. He didn't have all of his questions answered, but he knew enough to say, okay, I'm embracing Christ. You are the Son of God. In verse 50, Jesus said, you believe because I, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, but you will see greater things than that. Verse 51, and then he added, very, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Jesus there was giving a reference to Genesis chapter 28, and Jacob has this dream of this ladder that's connected from the earth to the heavens. And, and what, what Jesus is saying here, though, is, Nathaniel, you know that story. He's saying, I am that ladder. First, cha- First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul talked about this. He said, there is only one mediator between God and man, and it is Jesus Christ. Nathaniel must have been blown away, and so he says, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Andrew, Philip, John, Peter, they embraced Jesus. And they proclaimed who he was. They said, you are the Lamb of God. We have found the Messiah. You're the one that the prophets, you're the one that Moses talked about. You're the Son of God, the King of Israel. Let me ask you a question this morning. Would you say that it's true of you? Would you say that you've embraced Christ? When you think about your life, have you gotten to this point where you would say, yeah, I've embraced Christ, and, and then ask yourself another question, though. Have you followed him wholeheartedly, or would you say you're sort of at the amusement park, and you got right up to the end, and right up to the end of the line, and you were in the ride even, but then there was something that said, uh, wholehearted devotion, not so sure, I'm going to get off the exit, I'm a little scared to go down that route. Let me just ask you, what keeps you off of the thrill ride of following Jesus? Is there anything that you would say, wow, that gets in the way? Because as a pastor, you just go, you see people that, that you can just tell, wholehearted devotion. And then you see other people and you just go, association. Really glad they're here. I'm really glad they're hearing. But you just long for them to experience life to the full in Jesus Christ. Do you live devoted to him? What's getting in the way of that? I've heard multiple people say this. They said, you know, if there's a better option out there for me, there was a better option out there for me now and then for all of eternity, I would take it. And then these people will say over and over again, they'll say, but there isn't. I found Jesus Christ and I've got confidence. I heard a guy say yesterday, he said, you know what, I've just seen too much. I've seen, too, I've seen God do too much. I can't deny him. Full heart, full, wholehearted devotion to him, he said, it just makes sense. It's just, it's the logical thing to do. It's, a, it's appealing. You know, we're going to close our, our time this morning, not with a prayer, but with a song. And, and I just want to just kind of turn a corner here. And I want to ask you just to kind of prepare your heart. And Chris and the band are going to come now. And, and I just want to read to you really quickly here a couple of the lyrics from this song. And I want you to use this song as a time just to do business with God. And, and this song says this. It says, take my life, I lay it down. At the cross where I am found, all I give, I give to you, O God. And then it says this, this is, a, this is a song of surrender. It says, keep my heart in purity that I may walk in all you have for me. And then it says, take my moments and my days, let each breath that I take. And then it says, my whole life is yours. And I, I just, my prayer for you is that as we sing this, you'll be able to go, okay, if there's anything that gets in the way of me having wholehearted devotion, I just pray you'll be able to give it to the Lord. Kind of the chorus of this song says, here I stand. And then it says, it says with open arms. And um, I want to encourage you, don't do this for me, but do this for yourself if, if it's going on in your heart. 
would you just stand maybe at that part of the song with open arms and just kind of open those arms to God and just say, yeah, here I stand with open arms. And Lord, I don't have it all figured out, but I know enough. And I want to wholeheartedly follow you. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, let's stand now and let's sing this song.